0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MOB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. And we are going to be talking Arizona Fall League today. The All-Stars game rosters are out. They are star-studded, as usual. Uh, Quite a few top 100 overall prospects to be featured in the game. Uh, We will talk to uh, Nick Gonzalez, one of those players, Pirates infield prospect, who having a nice fall league out there, and Jim had a chance to catch up with him. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit about how having the number one farm system in baseball has Tended to uh, bode quite well and not take so long to do so. We have another World Series champion that was recently uh, heralded as the best uh, farm system in baseball, and we'll wrap up with a mailbag as we always do. Jim, your trip to Arizona—a fun-filled one.
2: Yeah, you no, know, it was it was great. You know, I hadn't really thought about this much until I got out there, but the only live baseball games I had seen in person since the pandemic started were two games at the draft combine. Um, so i i I saw 16 games in, in 12 days of Arizona fall league action. Um, and it was great, you know, seeing players on the field, getting talked to a lot of those guys running into baseball people, uh, you know, you know, just because they're at Fall League games, which I think will actually increase now that the playoffs are over. But uh, not to name drop too much, but I ran into Jim Hendry, I ran into Dave Dombrowski. I ran into a bunch of scouts I knew. So it was it was great. I mean, and, I mean, I've said this a million times, but my two favorite events in baseball to cover are the College World Series and the Arizona Fall League. And the Arizona Fall League certainly uh, lived up to what I expected. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun.
0: Some serious name dropping, really. My goodness! Right out of the gate, you did, did you run into William Bohr?
2: You know hey, what's funny is you would think no, because Will was obviously uh, uh, usually working games at the same time I was, but there was a night game in Mesa where I met Will and his girlfriend came up to the press box for three or four innings. So, um, so um, I, I Kendry,
1: Dombrowski, but no Borg. Did did not include Bore. Didn't even mention game
3: that. Broer. Yeah,
0: Jason had to like squeeze that he out, stole of it out of you. <laughs> it's terrible.
2: Yeah, so, sorry. Sorry, Will Boer. I And I saw Sam Dykstra because we overlapped. In fact, um, Sam and I d- discovered that, A, uh, we were staying literally across the hall from each other um, at the uh, Courtyard Salt River. And, B, uh, at the end of his trip and beginning of mine, we went to a game and we came back. And they had swapped out all the furniture in our rooms, So, which had never happened to me before in many years. Of With drowning. each
1: other's furniture?
2: No, they, it was not a trade. <laughs> we we got entirely new, new, brand new style of furniture: new couch, new coffee table, new desk chair, new lamps, new lamp shades.
0: Now, what would have been better beds. is if they had set up your room in reverse
2: and
1: swapped out your wardrobes.
2: Yeah, well, they. I think <laughs> that would have been too much, to but it was, for it was a, a major project. But yes, so that was. Uh, I did see Sam Dykstra as well. I don't think i saw any other mlb pipeline personnel out there. luminaries that would have been
1: you also saw a 15 to 15 game we talked about that last week you also saw the rare fall league brawl or you saw part parts of it you saw the aftermath yeah,
2: yeah. It, well I, I you know the, the brawl like i don't ever remember a, a fight on the field in in years to covering in the no. fall league but um it's funny because I think it got blown out of proportion a little bit just because they don't happen that much. But it, what was funny about it was uh, so the procedure for us when we're at these Fall League games is, you know, we're usually in the press box working on our stories. And then when you have about your half inning away from the game being over, you go downstairs to get in place to interview somebody after the game. So I was walking down with, with Joe Langan, one of the PR guys, guys who. Running you know, media stuff for the Fall League and doing a great job. And literally, as we were walking down the stairs, um, Josh Winkowski, of the Red Sox, hit uh, Kanan Najig, uh, Smith and Najigba with a pit—the first pitch in the ninth inning. So I didn't get to see that, but, but but Najigba ran out to the mound, punched him, and tackled him. But it wasn't. There have been reports that the brawl lasted several minutes. There were people on the field, but it wasn't like. You know, there were fights and everything like they separated the guys pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, both guys were rejected. And uh, apparently as far as I could tell, you know, after asking around, but that was my last day in the fall league. Apparently the day before the P the the Scottsdale bullpen had been taunting. Smith and the jigba. The, the same teams two teams played,
1: played the day before, right? The day
2: before at Peoria were talking I think he was in right field. I think their bullpen was in right field. So they were they were yelling at him, or maybe he was in the lap, but whatever, they were they were taunting him. And so Winkowski hit him with the first pitch. And there's actually there are photos of Winkowski smiling as Smith comes out to the mound. I don't know why he didn't try to defend himself, but instead he smiled and he got punched and tackled. Um and and then Smith Njigba screamed for several minutes about how this was BS, although he didn't abbreviate the word. And this had happened <laughs> yesterday. Blah blah blah. So I don't I don't know exactly what was going on the day before, but but there was there was a lot of bad blood apparently.
1: And and our our guest uh, and fellow Pirates prospect Nick Gonzalez got hit in the game the day before, had to leave the game early. But you don't you don't think that was related?
2: No, I I was asking around about it, and there because somebody was speculating that that could be the cause, but no, I mean, and it wasn't, he got hit when, when, when Gonzalez got hit, it was just a pitch that ran in on him. Like, you know, as, as listeners of the podcast know, we have our, our total base, uh, Arizona fall league, total base fantasy league. And I, and I have Nick Gonzalez on my team. So I was very concerned, but it was a ball that ran in on him and hit him on the hands. It, It, it didn't, I mean, I don't, if it didn't look like they were throwing at Nick Gonzalez by any means. And so, no, I don't think that had anything, to do with, it. I know there was speculation because Smith was yelling. Smith the Jigba was yelling. This is BS. This went on yesterday, but apparently that was referring to whatever uh, words were exchanged from the bullpen to the outfield the day before.
1: Interesting choice of of someone to taunt. Uh, guy who's six foot two forty. Uh, brother is a Division one football player.
2: We had a big day the same day for Ohio. State. Yeah, actually,
1: yeah, <laughs> had it. He had like uh, what like 250 or 240 40 or 50 yards receiving for Ohio State.
2: Something like that. because like, it was you and I when we were talking about it, I was like, are they related? They have to be related because I mean I, I mean how many Smith the jigbas do you know and they're both from Rockwall, Texas. So I'm, I'm proclaiming them related. So
1: I think uh, I want to say his dad was maybe a Division one football player as well. Um,
2: He's a pretty solid looking guy. like that, that was a crazy thing. So I didn't see Smith the jigba approach the mound live, but there was video. And there were pictures. And Winkowski, like I said, if I'm on the mound and a 6-foot, 240-pound guy is charging at me and I'm going to stand my ground, I would at least brace myself. And Winkowski, him or something. Yeah, Winkowski was just laughing at him, which was, was not an effective defense.
1: All right. Now, that was, that was uh, an interesting thing. Yeah, it, like you said, I don't recall any fight on-field fight in the arizona fall league i I remember remember one time a team uh kind of getting a bit upset with uh was it wilson Contreras who homered in a game and i think i want to say his team was down 15 runs or something (laughs) like that yeah and and he he homered any
0: any uh he stood he stood and watched yeah he, he but I don't think whole... anything
1: came of that. But that's that's like one of the few even instances I recall of there being, you know, tempers flaring.
2: There was, and I can't even remember now who it was, but there was an exuberant pitcher this year who was being very boisterous after striking somebody out, and he really ticked the guy off. But it wasn't like the benches cleared or anything.
1: Down with exuberance!
2: <laughs> so tempers hot, Tem- temperatures and tempers hot in the Arizona Fall League this fall. So.
1: All right. So, a, a couple guys who were hot in the Arizona Fall League last week, the Arizona Fall League pitcher and hitter of the week. Uh, we highlighted these for the past uh, few weeks on the podcast. This week's players of the week, Yolbert Sanchez, the White Sox number 15 prospect, and Roanzi Contreras, uh, the Pirates number six prospect. Uh, Contreras uh, went three innings. Struck out five, a perfect three innings, I believe it was. Um, and this is kind of, we've talked about before, this is kind of what you get with the Pitcher of the Week in the Arizona Fall League because these guys typically only pitch once and typically don't go uh, you know, beyond three, four, maybe five innings. Um, and so he was uh, extremely good in his one start. And uh, Jonathan, I know he uh, is, uh, he's on one of your teams that, uh, you are the primary owner of their list. And so, you know, quite a bit about Mr. Contreras who, uh, had a very, very nice year, a break. I don't, I guess it's a breakout year, but he's, he's, you know, I guess you could say he had a breakout year in 2018, uh, when he posted a 2.42 ERA, uh, across a couple levels, but only 12 games. And I guess he only pitched 13 games this year. Um, but a guy whose trajectory has been, uh, upward.
0: Yeah. I, I think that the difference between then and, and obviously I don't have reports uh, of him back then and now is, I mean, two things happen. One, uh, you know, he was part of a trade and that always kind of adds to a guy's, you know, where he is on, on the radar. He came from the Yankees and the Jamison Tyon trade he was added to the 40 man roster, uh, you know, after 2019 and. You know, super young, but the, I think the reason why this is really considered more of a breakout is because his stuff all ticked upwards, um, you know, from the get-go, and he maintained it. Now, he missed a lot of time with a forearm strain, so I think that there you know, there were a lot of, um, you know, some question marks about that, uh, but he came back at the end of the year, even made his big league debut, showed he was healthy, uh, threw well, uh, you know, for the Pirates, and the the stuff has gone from being sort of, you know, when he was good at the lower levels, this is a guy who, you know, more of a feel for pitching, and that can often lead to dominant numbers at the lower levels, but, you know, he was constantly in the mid-90s this year, uh, a lot of spin rates, a lot of movement, uh, he's got a really good change-up, uh, you know, mid-80s change-up to go along with that mid-90s fastball, it has got a lot of sync, uh, his breaking ball isn't as good. But he manipulates it well, adds and subtracts, it gives a different shape, and he was, and he's working on a slider as well. Uh, so, you know, it's all going to be a question now, I think, of health. Uh, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, he'll need to show that, you know, the the forearm strain isn't something that leads to, to more arm issues or isn't something that reoccurs. Uh, I think it was good that he was able to get out to, to the Fall League uh, and and you know, make up for some of those lost innings. He's been you know, not pitching a lot. Uh, you know, he had three innings in his first two outings combined, uh, with with very mixed results, and then had the the outing last week that led to him winning uh, pitcher of the week honors, um, more in line with how he threw uh, for the for the Pirates during the regular season.
2: Yeah, he was. I was gonna say, I was out there for two weeks, and that was the single best you know, extended outing that I saw. You know, it was five strikeouts, four ground balls. I think two-thirds of his pitches were for strikes. He'd kind of battled his command uh, his first couple times out. And, and, and Jonathan's right. You know, I, I did our Yankees list. And I know, Jonathan, I I, I I sold you low on him at the time of the trade. But when, when he was in the Yankees system, they kind of felt, I think, that the stuff had plateaued. He didn't really have a, a, a really good breaking ball. And he wasn't missing a ton of bats at the lower levels. And I think they kind of felt like – it was one of those guys whose stuff might not play, but the, but the stuff took a jump. And the day I saw him, he didn't really need to change it much. His curveball and slider, he was getting swings and misses with both pitches at will. So he was, he was like I said, I mean, it was a very offensive league. Uh, I think it's, it's maybe the greatest disparity between hitting and pitching talent I can remember out there. And that was the best outing I saw anybody have in, in the two weeks I was out there.
1: All right, and on the other side of the ball, uh, Yolbert Sanchez, uh, 24-year-old out of Cuba, another player in the White Sox, what has uh, developed into quite the Cuban pipeline. Um, He was signed, well, I guess first Contreras was signed for $250,000 back in the 16-17 signing period. Sanchez got 10 times that uh, coming out of Cuba, signed for $2.5 million in the 2019-20 signing period. Uh, he's 24 years old, but a guy that we have not seen much at all. Uh, 29 games in 2019 in the Dominican Summer League, and then 99 games this year between uh, High A Winston-Salem and Double-A Birmingham. Uh, has hit 306 in uh, what 128 career games. Uh, not a whole lot of... Extra base pop to this point, it looks like, uh, Jim, but uh, swung it very well last week. And overall, uh, seven walks to just one strikeout uh, over the nine games he's played in the fall league.
2: Yeah, I think he's on Glendale's taxi squad, so he generally plays twice a week. He got to play more last week, and he went seven for 12 with three walks and no strikeouts, seven RBI. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about him is, you know, as you mentioned, he signed for two and a half million dollars, you know, one of many Cubans to sign with the white Sox, And he was considered, um, a defensive whiz was, was why he got that bonus. Like he was, you know, a guy who, you know, it was interesting. So he, so he can't, he, that was his reputation. And then you mentioned 2019, he plays in DSL. That's, you know, a lot of the Cubans wind up going to DSL their first year for tax purposes to, you know, where they receive their bonus. It's more favorable. I mean, the White Sox did the same thing with Norge Vera this year, a Cuban pitcher. Um, and, you know, last year, like, you didn't really see him until Instructs. And his range wasn't as good. Like he, he, I think, put on a little weight, and he wasn't as quick, and he wasn't. You didn't get the glowing defensive reports, and so he wanted to play more time at second than at short in the in the White Sox system this year. But after having a reputation of this kind of like all glove, no hit guy, he, you know, as you point out, had a really nice year. He hit 308, you know, between high and double A. He hit nine home runs, which isn't a ton, but I mean. I think that's more power than a lot of scouts thought he had. And he, I mean, he, he's hit well in a very limited sample size in, in, uh, in Arizona. So, you know, one of the, the White Sox better position prospects in the system. And it was, it was interesting. I, I saw, you know, Peter Leon was, he got the highest bonus of any Cuban or of any international player this year. Uh, you know, in, in the 2020, 21 signing period, he got $4 million bonus. And I wound up doing a story at him one day. And I was talking to him about being on the same team with the Yolkis Suspetus. They're on the they're on the Glendale roster together, and Leon pointed out it wasn't just Suspetis, but it was also Yolbert Sanchez, and the Angels have an outfielder Orlando Martinez is all is also from Cuba. So there's there's actually four Cubans on the Glendale Desert Dogs who I don't think they were all on the same team, but they all played together in Cuba's Serie Nacional, which is their 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 highest level of of, of baseball in Cuba. Um, so there's there's quite the Cuban contingent there in in Glendale this year.
1: All right, so let's move on from talking about the players of the week to more of uh, sort of the players of the season, the players of the future, as we look at the Fall Stars game rosters. I uh, remind you that you're listening to MLB Pipeline podcast right now with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. I'm Jason Ratliff, the Fall Stars game Saturday uh, at Salt River. So if you're listening to this before Saturday, we're giving you a preview of that if you're listening to this after uh I hope it was a great game. Uh, so seven uh, top 100 prospects on the rosters. Uh, four on the East team, Tristan Casas, Gabriel Moreno, Brett Beatty, J.J. Bleday on the West side, Nick Gonzalez, Bobby Miller, Bryson Stott. Uh, the Fall League also does uh, its final two vote where it gives fans the chance to vote in uh, one player to each roster. So uh, the East team has the chance to add another top 100 prospect to uh, to its roster. Um, but uh, on the east side, uh, we'll, we'll start with the, the final two vote. Marco Luciano, Jeter Downs, Michael Tolia are the three uh, candidates there. And on the west side, Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals, uh, Jackson Clough of the uh, Nats, and Corey Lee of the Astros. Uh, jim and jonathan uh maybe a little less uh star power in terms of prospect status than we're used to uh just because we've had uh what six of the top players overall in the league uh, that have either been shut down or had to leave early Um, but still i think like we said on last week's podcast this game in terms of prospect status and uh, prospect prestige is is just about as good as it gets. Probably second only to the uh, futures game.
0: Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I mean, it's uh, it, it's right in in line with that. And there are guys who play in the futures game who play in this game. And then you know over the years, uh, you know, guys have gone from from this game uh, you know to winning rookie of the year. Uh, there was a stretch where I think it was the you know when it was Acuna. Um, Bellinger and Seeger won National League Rookie of the Year three years in a row. All three had been in the Fall Stars game. Didn't uh,
2: Alonzo do that too? Pete Alonzo, maybe. Yeah, Pete
0: Alonzo did it last. The last, you know, uh, well, not last year, twenty nineteen to to the twenty eighteen to tw- to the twenty nineteen season. the Guys who played obviously there was no Fall Stars game in uh, in twenty twenty, but the twenty nineteen game had Alec bohm He finished second in National League Rookie of the Year voting in twenty twenty. And then a bunch of guys who contributed uh, this year uh, were in that 2019 game. Tyler Stevenson, Brandon Marsh of the Angels, uh, Stevenson with the Reds, uh, Jaron Duran of the Red Sox, uh, the three Rays who you know came up and helped Shane Boz, Vidal Bruhan, and Josh Lowe were all in that 2019 game. You mentioned Pete Alonso in that 2018 game. Also in that 2018 game, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, who's now uh, an American League MVP finalist. So, uh, it has been uh, since they they started it, you know, a decade and a half ago. Uh, you know, sort of off season fall league version of the futures game for sure. And it's always just so much fun to see that much talent. And, and even if this is whittled down a little bit because guys like Spencer Spencer Torkelson went home, uh, you know, it, it's still uh, an impressive amount of guys who are going to go on to contribute to to big league rosters as as soon as opening day of next year.
2: So what you're saying is that Bryson Stott will be the 2022 national league rookie of the year. You heard it here it, first.
0: I don't think that's a bad choice.
1: Uh, speaking of Bryson Stott, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, to talk about a couple players that you are, uh, looking forward to seeing on this stage and, uh, Believe we're going to hear a little bit about Bryce and stop. But first,
2: I, I inadvertently tried to steal Johns guy for the second every week in a row. But I, 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 I did. I was, I was just throwing him out there. I wasn't stealing uh, his topics. If so.
0: you had been successful in stealing, would all listeners get free Taco Bell?
2: They would. They would okay. on me, on me. Twenty-five thousand dollars, up to. Well, when LGBT I win the fifty thousand dollars from the total base pool, I, I could buy tacos for everybody. So Wait, fifty
1: thousand dollars.
2: Well, twenty-five dollars from to each view. of us. Oh, is that how? Twenty-five thousand times <laughs> two.
1: Gotcha. All right. So, Jim, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the players you're most looking forward to seeing in this game.
2: Yeah, it's uh, and I was quibbling with our our, our, our uh, podcast uh, prep document language because uh, I've seen these guys. I saw them for the last two weeks, but I'm I will be excited to see them again.
0: Quit showing off.
2: I think the best prospect in the league. Based on how, you know, based on how they played this fall is probably Gabriel Moreno. He's been. Super impressive with the with the, the Blue Jays catcher on Mesa. Um, you know, as a catcher, you don't get to see him as much as, as some of the other positions because usually rotate the guys in and out there, though. He, he played third base the other day. I've seen him DH a little bit. And, man, I, I, I think, you know, he's number 32 in our top 100. I think had he not been hurt, you know, he broke his thumb when he was hit by a pitch in, in June. He was having a tremendous year in AA, at 370-something when he got hurt. I think he probably would rank even higher on our list Um, and he has hit the ball hard. I I think the last time I checked, he maybe only had one home run, but eight doubles and 14 starts in, in, in Mesa, Uh, he's hitting 345 there. Uh, You know, you could see, you know, he's got back to ball skills. He's got more walks and strikeouts. The, you know, it's, it's going to be power. I mean, he hits the ball hard on a consistent basis. Um, I think his receiving's gotten better this year. He, he looked good to me behind the plate. Guys have been kind of running wild. I don't, I know, I think Sam Dykstra calculated the stolen base rate a couple weeks ago and it was pretty high. Um, but the last time I checked, Moreno it's thrown out 50% of base stealers. He's got a strong, accurate arm. I, I think he's gonna be able to stay behind the plate and be an asset there. Um, and he has been really, really impressive. So in terms of, of, you know, top 100 prospects, he would be the guy I'm looking forward to seeing the most.
1: All right. Jonathan, hurry before Jim steals <laughs> any of your guys.
0: Seriously, I mean, he already brought up that I wanted to talk about Bryson Stott. And, and listen, we, we have different perspectives because I'm excited to see everybody. Uh, and not that Jim wouldn't have been excited to see those players, but I get his point. I, you know, I have yet to go out there. I will catch one game on Friday night before the Fall Stars game. So it'll really be my first look at most of the, the fall league players. Uh, so I'm just excited to, to be there, period. But uh, I brought up Bryson Stott uh, mostly you know, because I feel like he's – I'm starting to get the sense that he's going to be one of those guys who uh, is going to be a better big leaguer uh, than he was a prospect – and he's a pretty good prospect. I mean, he's kind of flirted with the top 100. He's at the back end of it. He, he you know, he's been good but not great. The year off made, made it a little, you know, harder to kind of figure out who he was because he had only had one summer of, of pro ball. And then in 2021, he did make it up to AAA and seemed to get better as he as he moved up. You know, AA Reading is a really good place to hit, and he took advantage of that. But, you know, good approach at the plate. There's some pop there. Uh, He doesn't have any homers uh, in the fall league, but that approach has been. There's more walks and strikeouts. You know, uh, he's got an OPS. uh, You know, approaching 900, uh, which for a middle infielder is is really really good. Uh, You know, he's primarily been a shortstop, but I think he's shown that he can play some other places. He's played some third uh, for Peoria this year, but he's just like a steady player. So I want to. Not just see him in the Fall Stars game, uh, but just in general to get a better sense of of who he is as a, as a hitter. Because I feel like, at, and I do the Phillies list, uh, maybe you know undersold him slightly. And then on the non-top one, I'm going to keep going before Jim jumps in. Exactly. But, um, uh, the the guy that uh, I want to talk about is Ivan Johnson, and I may be, you know this may be uh, interview bias. Uh, and I'm the first to admit that I uh, have a tendency to like guys more than I should based on how fun it was to interview. I mean I, I covered a, a game uh, remotely last week and, and talked to him and he was uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, and so I, I'm just looking forward to seeing him kind of mix it up. Uh, but you know he, he's always been an intriguing hitter right He came out of Chapola Junior College and a team. Uh, Jim, I don't know if you remember that year uh, in 2019. I do Florida for the draft, but that Chipola team had like 12 guys drafted. Uh, it was a ridiculous junior college team. And he went in the fourth round and, you know, was okay uh, that first summer in 2019. This year he missed a bunch of time uh, with some some injuries. He only played in 79 games, uh, but there's some power there. Uh, it showed up this uh, this fall. He's got six homers. Um, you know, there's, there is some swing and miss, but you know, the other thing that's sort of interesting is that this was a guy who everyone thought was a second baseman who has played a lot of shortstop, uh, in, in the minors, um, in the fall, he's played mostly second and he's also played some third, which he said has been, uh, an adventure, (laughs) but one that he's enjoyed, uh, but you know there are a lot of people now who think he has a chance to play short and the Reds for a long time have run guys up to the big leagues who a lot of people didn't think could play shortstop and then end up playing there so I would just say I think this is uh, you know a chance for him he, he's yet to play above a ball uh, to sort of give him a nice springboard up to the upper levels and, and I think he's the kind of bat that could start really kind of the production can catch up to what his tools are. And he, he might be able to contribute to that Reds lineup sooner rather than later.
2: See, I'm just glad Jonathan, you brought up a former, former Georgia bulldog right there. And, and Ivan Johnson because he, he began his college career. That's why, I, that's why I picked him. <clears throat> I appreciate that. And then, um, you know, you mentioned Tyler Stevenson earlier in the podcast, they went to the same high school. Now I'm not sure if they played on the same team because Stevenson would have been a senior and Johnson would have been a sophomore. And I, could not, my quick internet research, determine if they actually took the field together in 2015. But, uh, yeah, he was a guy, I remember, uh, you know, when you, you mentioned the draft, coming out of high school, he was one of the better hitters in the 2017 high school class coming out of Georgia. So he's, he's always had that intriguing bat, and, and I, I agree with you. I think the Reds have something there.
1: All right, Jim, keep going. Your non-top-100 prospect that you're looking forward to seeing in the Fall Stars game.
2: Well, I saw a ton of Mesa, and, and I swear I think I saw Nelson Velasquez, who leads the league with seven home runs. I think I saw him hit at least four home runs while I was there, and and maybe five. I, I saw him hit a ton of home runs, and he's had a great fall league. Um, you know, He was a fifth-round pick out of a Puerto Rican high school in, in two thousand seventeen and he's you know, you have always looked, you know, he's had tools, he's had bat speed, he's had strength, he runs well for his size, he's he's got a strong arm. Um and he didn't really ever put it together. You know, it just it was it was kinda kinda raw tools and, and, and not a ton of production until this year at twenty homers, seventeen steals between high A and double A and and, and I talked to him out in the fall league. He was he was player of the week, I think the he's player of the week for the first week I was out there. And so I wound up talking to him after that week uh, for, for the story we do on our side on the award winners all time. And he was talking about how he knew his biggest issue offensively was dealing with breaking balls. And so he spent basically his whole pandemic downtime, you know, training, but also, you know, taking a lot of BP in the cage against pitching machines set to throw breaking balls. So he would get better at recognizing the spin and figuring out how to handle them. And he feels like he's gotten a lot better at it. And I mean, he's, he's been crushing the ball in there is on the fall league and he might be a guy, um, you know, we're obviously going to see a lot of new faces on the Cubs in the next couple of years. I, I could see Nelson Velasquez playing in Wrigley field, you know, maybe second half of next year, if he goes up to AAA and gets off to a good start. But he, you know, he, he, I think he's really helped himself with his performance this season and in Arizona Fallwood.
1: All right. And another guy in the this year's Fall Stars game, Nick Gonzalez of the Pirates. We're going to talk to him coming up after this. Jim had a chance to talk to him, and we'll listen in on that conversation coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
3: the power of their data. was Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Jim Callis with
2: MLB Pipeline here with Nick Gonzalez of the Pirates uh, out here in the Arizona Fall League. Nick, uh, I guess you're used to offensive environments, haven't played at New Mexico State, but uh, what have you thought about the offensive environment about here? The, the hitters have been smoking the ball pretty much for
4: four weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun to watch. I mean... On both sides defensively and offensively watching these guys go about it and hit the ball really hard and and then trying to field the ball when people are hitting it so hard at you and everything it, it, it's been fun and uh definitely enjoying it
2: is it what you expected had you talked to anybody about what what you were you were in for when you heard you were coming here or did you have much of an idea because you played was it high A this year yeah high A. i mean how do you feel like the pitching compares to what you saw during the regular season
4: yeah it's definitely uh really good pitching you know you're seeing like you know, upper 90s in Vila, like every single day and, and you know, really good stuff secondary-wise. So it, it's definitely a little bit different, but, you know, you're making the adjustments as you go and then, uh, you know, just kind of getting advice from the coaches and the teammates when you go about your plan in the box and everything and go about it.
2: Are you working on anything in particular here? I mean, is the main goal to get some at-bats? Because I know you missed some time with a, with a finger injury, or are there specific things you're working on?
4: Uh, you know, mostly just trying to, you know, hone in my approach and, and. Uh, kind of be selective up there and only swing at pitches I can drive and, uh, you know, do some damage and then also, you know, getting that bat that I, that I did miss with the broken finger.
2: Now How do you feel like that's gone? I mean, you, you're performing pretty well out here. Do you feel pretty good about how the approach has been? I mean, there's even a, I don't know if you faced it, but there, I mean, there's even a couple guys who pitched in the big leagues out here in, in this league.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely the approach is, is coming along and it's going good. Um, You know, I'm staying disciplined up there and, and swinging at good stuff, so it's going well and You know, getting to face guys who have been in the big leagues and hitters that have been in the big leagues, um, it's good to watch and and it's really exciting for me.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I know you you, you had a decorated amateur career. You led the NCAA Division I in hitting uh, as a sophomore. You led them in home runs during the shortened season as a junior. How do you see yourself as a hitter? Do you see yourself as a hitter and the power just comes naturally, or do you see yourself as a power hitter who also hits forever? How would you describe yourself? I,
4: I think just someone who, who hits the ball hard a lot and, you know, may run into a few here and there uh, home run-wise, but definitely a guy who's going to hit the ball hard and, and hit some doubles and, and stretch out some triples and everything like that. But um, definitely uh, I would say contact and power, uh, probably more contact than power, but um, definitely hitting the ball hard.
2: How much do you think the Cape Cod League helped your, your draft status? Because, I mean, you put up big numbers in New Mexico State and you were on all the scouting radars. But, I mean, I'm sure you heard it like, oh, you know, the ball flies there. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a high offensive environment. Yeah. And then you go to the Cape League, which is a wood bat league, and it's, you know, the majority of the very best players in the country. Mm-hmm. And you end up having a great season. You were MVP of the Cape League, right? And yes. I think finished a close second in the batting race?
4: Yeah, second under to my teammate. Oh, there you DeLoach. go. Does he uh, remind you? Zach DeLoach reminded you of that? Him it was like one point or something like that yeah um i mean the cape helped me so much i don't think with with the cape i don't think i'm at you know where i'm at right now uh just because you know i got to be in front of a lot of eyes and i got to play against competition that i probably wouldn't have faced um you know during a regular season at new mexico state so that was huge for me to do that and uh, all the players i got to meet all the players i got to play against with and my coach there everything was awesome such a blessing for me to, to be able to do that. So I don't, I don't think, you know, without the Cape, I don't think I'm, I'm where I'm at right now.
2: How much confidence did they give you? I mean, I, I assume you actually had to believe in yourself to hit four whatever you did at New Mexico State and you put up numbers, but like, did that open your eyes a little bit? Like, hey, like, I'm just as good as all the big names in college baseball.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely it, it helped me confidence-wise and everything because you know, I, I did have a really good season, my sophomore, my freshman year even, and, and then I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. You know, uh, everyone was saying, yeah, I was hearing everything, you know, talking about the Cape and I needed to do well there. And that would kind of be my, you know, telltale. And, and you know, to do well there and to, you know, impress myself and, and, and do well definitely put some confidence in me.
2: And it's funny, because I remember doing early draft stuff at the end of that summer, I was working on a, I don't know if it was a college top 20 list or it was a college list, mm-hmm. and, the two names, everybody said, hey, the two guys you need to have on here hire. Well, one, I, I, they told me I need to have you hire after the Cape, and the other one was your teammate, Carmen Majinski, because he, yeah. he was a guy who I think had a broken foot yep. at South Carolina, so he hadn't pitched a whole lot, yeah. and then he had a great Cape, too, and, yeah. then, and mm-hmm. now you guys are, are reunited here in the Pirates organization.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's funny, because in the Cape, we, I never got to face Carmen, but I knew who he was, and then when we got drafted, I finally got to meet him. He's, he's a great guy, and then, yeah, he's electric on the mound, for sure
2: what was i mean 2020 obviously you know even outside of baseball obviously a very strange and difficult year for people but like from a player's perspective what was that like for you so i mean you get off to a great start in new mexico state and then boom college season just ends three months before the draft yeah you know you can't really do much in the way of workouts i guess people could do video workouts if they wanted but it's not like you're What did you do leading up to the draft for three I mean, I assume a lot of Zoom calls, but what else did you do?
4: Yeah, a ton of Zoom calls now that I remember. I had like a call every day, and it was was kind of, you know, it was kind of tiring, all those Zoom calls and everything. But, you know, we had to do what we had to do during the pandemic, obviously. But we were working out, me and my best friend, Joey, and one of our coaches were working out. Like at one of the players on our team, his his dad had like a gym that he had on. So we in New Mexico and and a cage and everything at his house and field. So we were just working out there for like two months, leading up to the draft, and then just lifting and I mean we tried to do live at bats as many as we could for some of the pitchers that were still there, but it was tough. And then uh, just throwing, playing catch, hitting. Uh, and then I think right before the draft, maybe a month before, I went back home to Tucson and then worked out there a little bit. And then when the draft came, is after that, I was gonna train here in Phoenix, and then I got invited to the alternate site and went straight into there.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, for you and a lot of guys who were drafted last year, your first pro experience was not the normal pro experience yeah. where you'd maybe work out for a little bit at the mm-hmm. you know spring training complex, and then you'd yeah. be off to, in your case, I would I would probably eat low A-balls where they probably would yeah. have sent you. What was it like? I mean, did you go to Instruction League too? I assume. You could...
4: Yeah, I did. So it was kind of it was different because we went to the alternate site and and you know, people who are at the alternate site have been in the organization for you know a few years, so they're they're pretty comfortable with everyone and they're comfortable with the pro ball environment, which a lot of people will tell you it's a lot different than college environment for sure. And in terms of the coaches and everything and how it's just handled. And so it was different for me. It was definitely weird at first. Um, You know, I wanted to impress everybody. I wanted to do well, but it was kind of like, hey man, just relax, you know, this is a pretty chill environment. So then I I got used to it. And then I did go to instructs after that and got a little more comfortable with all the uh, organization, everybody in the organization and spring training uh, following in 2021.
2: Yeah, I mean, how, I mean, how nice was it to get back to? I mean, you hadn't been in pro ball before, but mm-hmm. just the normal routine of hey, we're playing games on a you know regular basis, and yeah. you, you got the normal pro experience. Yeah, this year. Def-
4: yeah, I definitely got it this year, and and it's been awesome. And you know, anytime you know, I think about how, how many games we play, I just think about you know back to during the pandemic when we weren't playing any games, and I, and I just want to keep playing and playing and play more games and never take it for granted. So it's definitely been good, and uh, I've enjoyed my first technically pro year.
2: What, uh, what do you think was your biggest adjustment to pro ball?
4: I think uh, I just had to make the adjustments at the, you know, faster velocity and the spin rates and everything like that, and it's just getting under stuff or just missing stuff, and then you kind of get used to it, your eyes adjust, and then uh, from there it's kind of just the same. It's baseball and you go out there and you, you make your adjustments with the pitcher and whatever in and BP and, and you kind of just go about it.
2: How did you injure your finger? And it seemed like once you came back from that, you were pretty red hot for, for most of the rest of the season. Did how'd you get hurt? And I mean, what, I mean, I assume that must have been frustrating. Hey, we're starting to play again, and now I gotta gotta miss some time.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I heard it. I think the third week of the season, I was doing really good. I was feeling good at the plate and everything. And then I had hit a ball to short, and he made a nice play. So I was trying to beat it out, and then the throw kind of took the first baseman up the line and uh, I tripped over them and just broke my pinky on the ground and then so they, they didn't really want to rush it so early in the season so I, I was out I had a, like a little cast on my pinky I was out for like five weeks and then swinging on the sixth week I think and then I was back I was probably back after about six seven weeks completely and playing in games and everything and, and that was good And. And it was tough, you know, not swinging and stuff like that, getting back into it and and into, you know, seeing the pitching, seeing the velocity and everything was a little tough at first. And then I think after a few weeks, I kind of got back into the groove where I was uh, at the beginning of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I will say, like, the last six or eight weeks, you were really hot and you've been hitting the ball well out here. Have you started to think about next year where you might be assigned if the Pirates said anything?
4: Uh, No, they haven't really told me anything. I don't really think about it. I I really like the team that we had in Greensboro and I like playing with those guys. but you know, obviously, wherever the Pirates want me to be, that's that's what's, I'm, what I'm gonna do, and that's what's best for me. So, you know, wherever they put me, wherever it's gonna be, I'll be ready, and I'll be, you know, ready to play. How
2: exciting is it to, I mean, I don't, I didn't look at the roster before I came out here, but like, Pirates have a lot of talent in the minor league system. Did you yeah. play, Quinn Priester was probably at Greensboro at one point, yep. right? No, Did Henry he, Davis get there briefly?
4: Yeah, he was there for a little bit. He had, you know, tweaked something, yeah. but he was there, uh, yeah, Priester was there the whole year. I'm pretty close with Priester. He's a, he's a great guy, great arm. Um, and then uh, Lyover Poguero, he's, he's yep. here with us. Well, you, yeah.
2: you, your double play combo, I guess, yep. right?
4: Yep, exactly. And we then we've seen
2: Ronanze Contreras out here. Yeah, I, I saw the other day when he pitched, it was three perfect innings, he looked yeah. pretty sharp. And, yeah, he's
4: very, good. He's you very
2: know, good. And not just getting Henry Davis out of this year's draft, yeah, you know, they were able to use bonus pool money to basically mm-hmm. get, like, three other guys who were supposed to go really high in the draft. I mean, the yep. this farm system's really strong. I mean, how does it feel? I mean, obviously, they're taking their lump to the big league level, but, I mean, what do you think of the talent you've seen come around you?
4: Uh, I think it's been great. I think, you know, when you get out here and you see all the other players and everything, you know, our Pirates players stack up pretty well. And and so, you know, it's good to know that the Pirates are doing a good job, uh, you know, at the... Developing our guys and developing good players and getting acquiring good players So it's exciting to see for sure, you know all the young guys we have and all the guys uh, In the Greensboro team the Altoona team even the Indy team and, and Bradenton team as well They won a championship this year in our low A so it's definitely exciting to see.
2: Yeah, no I think the Pirates could be pretty good in a couple of years. I always yeah. like to ask players their impression of other players So I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but who's the best pitcher you faced out here in their It's unfollowing
4: the you um, they've all been really good, but definitely Lacy. I faced Lacy. I faced him in college. He's he's you know a very good, powerful lefty arm. And then Hicks also with the Cardinals. We faced him twice. He's, <laughs> he's up to like 104. Yeah, times. yeah. He's just throwing throws the ball so hard. He's like you see it, and then by the time you swing, it's already it's past <laughs> you. So yeah, those two arms really good, uh, really impressive stuff for sure.
2: Who's the best pitcher you saw during the regular season? Do you think the regular
4: season? Um, uh, Taj Bradley was really good with the Rays. We, we faced him a few times. He was really good in the, in the postseason. We faced him, too, in the championship series. Really good arm, real powerful, and he's young, too, and he's a really good slider.
2: Yeah, those are some good ones. How about hitters now? Who's impressed you hitting-wise out there? Hitters
4: here? here they all impress me. <laughs> watching all of them. Uh, on our team is Bryson Stott. He's, he's awesome to watch. Um, and then uh, Kossis for the Red Sox, I like watching him hit. Um, there's quite a few hitters that I, I I watch all the time, especially when you're out there on defense. You kind of got to worry about them hitting the ball really hard at you, so you got you got to pay attention <laughs> a little
2: bit. Did you who who made a hit impression on you hitting wise during the regular season?
4: During the regular season, uh, Foskey, Justin Foskey, he, he hit really good. I just saw
2: him hit another home run out here yesterday. Yeah, so. yeah,
4: he hit he can swing it, and then. Uh, <laughs> Um, there was a lot of players that we played against that were really good. Um, Austin Wells with the Yankees. I, yeah. I played against him um, in college a lot and then here. Um, yeah, they're all good.
2: How's the defense coming? I know yeah, out here it's been kind of a, close to a 50 50 split, right? They, they played you, like I know Stott's a shortstop too hmm. for the Phillies, but it seems like when he's on the lineup, you're playing short, and then yep. when he's in the lineup, you're playing second. Do you feel more comfortable at one position versus the other? I know you have more experience at short, right?
4: No, I have more experience at second. Okay. Yeah, i played second, you know, freshman, sophomore year. That's right, because
2: Joey Ortiz was on the same team, right? Yeah,
4: exactly. So freshman, sophomore year, I was at second. Uh, Junior year for the 14 games or whatever it was, I was at short. Um, So definitely more comfortable at second. But, you know, getting reps at both short and second really helps me. And uh, so I do that a lot during practice throughout the week. So I move around, so it's good.
2: Did you play much short during the season when you were on the same team with Pagero?
4: No, I only played one game at short, and it was the last game of the year.
2: Okay. So, so that's kind of. It sounds like probably second base going forward, but yeah, yeah basically the mentality is wherever they, you, you look at the lineup, and yep. they'll tell you where you're exactly. playing, and exactly. and go yeah. from there. So, but yeah. uh, well, it's gonna. It's, it's been fun watching you play out here. I, I feel like. I don't know how many times I've seen Peoria play. I feel like maybe a half dozen times. And outside the crazy 15-15 game, yeah. it feels like you had two or three hits in every game I've seen. So yeah, 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 it's been cool. fun watching that. And I was going to say, it's going to be fun, I think, watching the Pirates, like we were saying. In a couple years, I think they're yeah. going to be a pretty formidable club. Yeah, so. I
4: agree. I think I think we'll be good. You know, every year we're, we're bringing up new guys. So I think we're going to be good. And, uh, you know, we're a good team. We've got a bright future, for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Nick. It's, yep. it's fun no talking problem. to you. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yep
1: Thanks very much to Nick Gonzalez for joining us here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Uh, Jim, you saw uh, quite a bit of Gonzalez. Uh, One thing about his interview, um, I had to check to see his pronunciation of organization. This guy spent some time in uh, Canada. (laughs) I didn't
2: didn't pick up on that.
1: No, he said said it like three times. The first time I thought maybe I misheard it, and then he said it again, and he said it a third time, and I uh, started to question whether i actually knew where he was from so but when jonathan
2: goes to the fall stars game he's going to need to ask nick gonzalez about his his suppressed canadian roots that that we didn't know about but no it's it, it was fun watching him play um down there and you know we, we've talked about him a ton on the podcast this year he had an injury uh in the middle of the season came back was one of the hottest hitters in the minors down the stretch he's been hot throughout the the arizona fall league um you know I, uh, it was i was alarmed I and mean, he got hit like we said before on the hand like like seven innings in the seventh inning i think of the game at, you know when i did the interview before the game um but the word is he'll be okay which is good to see and uh another guy to look forward to in the in the fall stars game this guy can really really hit um and he's he's shown that pretty much everywhere he's been
1: all right we're gonna take a break when we come back we are going to look at how yet another highly ranked farm system has turned into a world series championship we'll do that next on the mlb pipeline podcast
3: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, this is our first episode post-World Series. Is that right? Or did Correct, we Correct. Okay. It-
2: Ended, I think, maybe the day we recorded our last podcast.
1: Yeah, and so we were chatting a bit, and this is something we've we've talked about sort of generally uh, on the podcast in the past. But the fact that you know we look at this every year, and the fact that teams that build from within and are uh, homegrown and use the draft and international signings, uh, they tend to often end up in the postseason and then we looked a little closer and teams with the number one overall farm system uh dating back over the past decade uh and a a little more really those teams have quite frequently gone on to be world series champions within like a four to five year window and sometimes less but the braves now um Meet that criteria. They were the our number one overall farm system in our 2017 preseason rankings, uh, and now world champions within a four year period. And going back, um, now the, the first going going backwards, the the first team is an exception because the Brewers were the number one overall farm system in our 2016 midseason season rankings. Um, have not won a World Series title in a five-year window following that. But uh, going back now, 2016 preseason, uh, the Dodgers were number one, 2020 World Series champs. 2015 midseason list, the Red Sox were number one, and they won the World Series in 2018. 2015, the Cubs were our number one overall farm system in the preseason rankings, and of course won in 2016. And uh, that's as far back as we go, uh, having ranked the farm systems here. Yeah. If you then use the uh, Baseball America farm system rankings going back further,
2: Johnson's uh, dogs did not want you to mention Baseball America, Jason. But
1: they also know. didn't want me to mention that the that their hometown Pirates are another exception <laughs> to the rule. They're getting a little upset about that. They were the uh, Baseball America's number one overall farm system in 2014. In 2013, the Cardinals. Uh, didn't win a World Series title within five years after that, but they did go to the World Series that year. Uh, 2012 Nationals, number one. Uh, took them a, a while, but uh, won the World Series in 2019. The Royals in 2011, won in 2015. And it goes on and on and on. Um, uh, Jonathan, uh, I guess we saw this coming with the Braves.
0: That's why I picked them to win.
1: That's right. You guys, well... <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, to, I didn't pick know, them to win into at the, the, world. Of
0: the postseason. To, to, in full disclosure, I just picked them to win once they made it to the World Series. That they were my pick. Uh, uh, I actually picked the Rays to win the World Series at that outset, which, you know, which tracks, given that the Rays have been our number one farm system uh, for you know, quite some time. Yeah, you, know, you know, four rankings in a row, or whatever it is. You know, I think it, 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 it's interesting, and there and there's more than one way to use your farm system, right? It's not that the Braves have. Uh, you know their their World Series roster wasn't uh, completely made up of guys who were prospects in that on that 2017 ranking, um, but a lot, you know some of those guys have made it up to the big leagues. Uh, they've used a bunch, you know, in trades to to bring in more talent, and that I mean, and that's how how you do it. And, and you know, even the teams that haven't won the World Series, you, know, you mentioned the Brewers, and yes, you mentioned the Pirates, but you know the the Pirates did parlay that farm system into being uh, a competitive playoff team for three years in a row, uh, and you know you look at the Rays, uh, you know the the Padres have been competitive, the even you know the Brewers, you know the, they're also a, you know an outlier, uh, but they've had a competitive team of late. You know, so it's uh, this is not some sort of. Uh, exclusive information here that a, a really strong farm system leads to the, the chance to, to win. but uh, you know the fact that it is so closely correlated uh, surprised me you know a little bit that so many of the top farm systems have gone on to if not win at all then you know make it to a league championship series or, or, or make it to the World Series.
2: Yeah, I mean we've talked about this, but, you know, as you mentioned Jason, the the general subject before, and I always point out, you know, going back to my my years of baseball America, the the number one farm system, like not necessarily won the World Series every year, but almost that with the one exception and it was like a 1997 or 1998 Pirates team. Uh, almost, you know, in every other case, you know, had some sustained success and, and multiple playoff appearances within a couple of years, um, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you not, you, you rattled off all the world series winners. The only one since 2015 that wasn't mentioned on here, that was number one on our list or BAs was the 2017 Astros. But we didn't rank farm systems in 2014, but I do know, of course, it's hard to find on Google, that we did, we used to, Jonathan and I used to do this series of uh, pipeline perspectives where we would, you know, argue or debate or, or, or at least come up with different answers to the same question. And I know in 2014, at one point, we tabbed unofficially because we didn't have rankings. The Astros is the best farm system in baseball in 2014 because they were absolutely loaded. So, I mean, that's crazy that you can, if you count that, Then your last seven World Series champions, you know, all won the title, you know, very shortly after being ranked number one by us or before we did the rankings baseball America. So I guess I guess that means the Padres or the Rays are going to be next up in 2022. Is that what we're saying?
1: Yeah, they were. uh, The Padres were at the top of our list four consecutive lists, 2018 preseason through 2019 midseason and then the Rays. Uh, took over from there, 2020 preseason through 2021 uh, midseason. So, yes, the guarantee. All right, guys, let us uh, wrap up here by answering a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Andrew Kinsman at FeverDog on Twitter. Jose Tania had a solid season as a 20-year-old middle infielder in high A and has been terrific and a small sample size so far in the AFL as one of the youngest hitters there. Do you see Cleveland protecting him from Rule 5, the Rule 5 draft, despite his relative lack of experience? Thank you.
2: No, it's very polite. Um,
1: that's, how to get yes. a, that's how to get a question answered.
2: You know, I I, I, th- you, I do the Indian system, and the Indians have a deep system. Uh, I, I think they've got one of the deeper systems around. You could, you could try to make an argument that Tanya's only 20, he hasn't played above high a so it'd be hard for him to stick i mean it would it would not be great for his career to be in the major leagues for full season under the rule 5 guidelines and get limited at bats but i don't think they're going to try to get cute i mean he's i mean they they've 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 loved his hitting ability since they signed him as as part of a, a really good 2017 international class he's hit everywhere he's gone he he used his pandemic downtime to get stronger he went from hitting Two homers in two seasons and 95 games in rookie ball to 16 this year in high A as a 20 year old. Um, his arm got strong. He just got in better shape and his his tools got better. And and you know again, I mean, anybody sees him in the fall league. I mean, the guy's hitting 438 down there. I know it's an offensive league. You can't read too much into small sample size stats, but he might win the batting title down there. And I mean, you can again. He's one of the youngest guys down there. He's more than holding his own against, you know, older competition. I think there's more former big league pitchers, you know, a lot of it's cups of coffee, but there's definitely more former big league pitchers in the fall league this year than any year I can remember. And and while you could gamble, you would get him back. I I don't think they're going to take that risk. He's too talented. And again, anybody who scouted the fall league and there's plenty of pro scouts watching the fall league are just watching this guy get seems like two hits every game. So I I don't think they're going to try to get cute. What about you, John?
0: I wanted to see if my dogs had an opinion first. No, okay, uh, they, they they don't want to weigh in on this one. They're very homerish. They had a couple
1: opportunities. Jim mentioned Baseball America again, and then he bashed the Pirates.
0: <laughs> really. right. he, so, the dogs
1: had two, or you had yeah, two opportunities they're, they're, to rile they're, them they're, up.
0: They're tired. They're tired from those those diet traps. Listen, I, you know, I, I've not seen Jose Tanya and I obviously I don't have the same kind of uh, knowledge about him or the system. But I, I think you know what Jim said is, is spot on. I mean, not only has he hit, he's showing. Now that he can handle a higher level of, of pitching and yes, he hasn't played above a ball, but he's going to, he's going to go to double a next year. I, you know, I would be surprised if they rolled the dice, you know, and didn't protect him, you know, add to the fact that he has shown the ability to play three different infield positions. Then suddenly you have a guy who could have value on a big league team as a, as a super utility guy and you move him around and, and find the right, ways to get that bat into the lineup now i agree with you jim that it would it would not be great for his development um but you know this is a guy who may come out and set the world on fire in double a next year if you know assuming he's still with cleveland and and hits his way up to cleveland by next year i mean he 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 seems to be that kind of hitter so i I mean if
2: you're a bad team too like if you're the orioles or the diamondbacks why would you not take that guy and see like Right, you know, no, I, Richie I, Martin, I, who's back. You know, was more of a defensive minded guy. You know, but he yeah. hadn't played in the upper minors. I mean, I think he'd played in Double A some. But yeah, it's just you could get cute and say, "Boy, it'd be hard for somebody to keep him." But like, and again, I don't fault, I don't fault the Twins for not protecting a killed Badoo last year because I wouldn't have thought he could have done it. But that's a move the Twins obviously regret right now.
0: Right. Right. And I you know. So I, I, I fully expect that when those decisions are, are made later this month, we will see Jose Tanya on the 40 man roster. All right. Thanks
1: to Andrew Kinsman for that question. Thanks to Nick Gonzalez for joining us on the show today. And thanks to everyone for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week.